So Money episode 472, Michael Ian Black, comedian and author of A Child's First Book of Trump. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Election Day is right around the corner. And for parents out there, have your kids started to express interest in the upcoming election? Mine's only two, so we've yet to have those conversations with him. But for many parents, kids are starting to ask, who is Donald Trump? Whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, an independent voter, I think it's fair to say that Donald Trump has a unique personality that's, uh, you know, not so easy to explain to a child, especially if you're the sort of parent that's advocating for tolerance and kindness. And today's guest is the one and only Michael Ian Black, and he is taking on politics, poking at Donald Trump with his new book, A Child's First Book of Trump. And the premise is, how do you explain Donald Trump to a child. Michael, as you may know, is a famous comedian, actor, and writer. He starred in MTV's The State, which is where I first discovered him many, many, many years ago. And most recently, he's been on the Jim Gaffigan show. He's also a New York Times bestselling author. So, Michael, how do we explain Trump to a child, I ask? And how do you translate his rhetoric to young people? Michael has a very prolific career as well, and we talk about how he manages to stay competitive and employed in the entertainment industry. And his biggest financial regret, something he faces every single day. Here is Michael Ian Black. Michael Ian Black, welcome to So Money. Thanks. All right, your book, let's get right to it. A Child's First Book of Trump. And I think that no matter where you lie politically, you have to admit that if you're a parent, and we've had this conversation in my house, my son's two, so he's too, uh-huh. he's a little too young to be watching TV, at least at least uh, election night. But when he gets older, and let's say we have a Trump presidency, there's some splaining we have to do as parents. Right, right. Um, I think there might be. There might be. And the, same way, uh, the same way parents had to sit down and have the BJ talk about uh, Bill Clinton. <laughs> that is true. True. That is true. We have candidates with a lot of skeletons in their closet, but also very interesting personalities. And this wait, Farnoosh. Yeah. Do you need the BJ talk? Um, maybe after hours. Maybe. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I just want to make sure you're fully up to speed on everything you need to know in this life. Um. So this book isn't really political as so much. It's it's really a book about a very interesting personality that we have. Why did you want to write it? I mean, you have such a diverse background as a comedian. Why did you want to kind of stir the political pot here? I suppose because uh, like most, if not all of the country, I am uh, following this election very closely. Uh, I am mildly obsessed with uh, our Republican nominee for the presidency. And I saw a opportunity to do something funny um, that I could make money off of. Which is I like the is, honesty. I like the honesty. And this, well, yeah. I mean, look, this is a money podcast. I like to make money. And look, the Trump brand—that's just money right there. That's just money. 
It is. It is. It's so money. And but honestly, like a book like this, who's the audience? Is it really like flying off the shelves? I'm 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 I like it, but I'm just wondering, you know, it's more of like a coffee table book. Uh, I would say I wrote it for adults as a parody. Um, and it has been doing very well, which and I would be happy to tell you if it wasn't, but it has been doing well. Um, currently ranked number 697 on Amazon, but it was up to number eight at one point, which was a big surprise to me. Um, and, but I'm finding that a lot of parents actually are buying it and reading it to their children because it does work as a children's book. If, uh, if, if just as, a, as, as you said, as, as a kind of uh, cautionary tale mm-hmm. about a certain personality type as represented by our Republican nominee for the presidency of the United States. And on a serious note, I mean, as a parent, your kids are a little bit older, but if they were and they're so they're hopefully they'll be able to see through some of this BS that his vitriol and his bragging. But for some children who are very impressionable, still like six, seven, eight years old, the book can be helpful. But beyond that, have you had thoughts about or have you had conversations with parents about like, really, what's the discussion? Because, again, it's like politics aside, it's the personality. And if we're supposed to raise kids that are fair and kind and not bullying, and then you see the president of the free world being all those things, how do you explain it? Do you just turn off the TV? No, what you do is you get your children noise canceling headphones and you make <laughs> you make your children wear the headphones for the duration of his administration. Um, I don't know what the solution is. Mm-hmm. It's obviously uh, it's obviously well to my mind and, and people who think like me, it's it's not good. I mean it's it's atrocious. It we have we we have allowed bullying uh, you know, some would say sociopathic personality running for the presidency and uh, a fair amount of the country supporting him. So that's troublesome. It is. And you're not the first author to bring this to light. I mean, you've even said in interviews that you were sort of inspired by articles that was in you know, New York Times, Time Magazine, Huffington Post. Um, there were a lot of articles yeah. saying, how do, you, how do you have the Trump talk to your kid? Right. Uh, and they were they were expounding. But I thought, well, let me take it a step further and actually write the book for, for how you do that. So now you've got this book. What's next? How does a book help your career as a comedian? Oh, it doesn't at all. It, it doesn't does- help me in any way, shape, or form. It's just a fun thing that I did. Oh, well, you made money, and you're on. You're doing media, and your name's out there. I mean, so there has to be. Yes, but when I say I make, I made money. I'm, I'm, I'm half joking because I didn't make very much money off of it. But then again, I didn't do very much work on it. I wrote it over the course of a weekend. So. On an hourly basis, I did quite well. <laughs> right, it's a good uh, ROI. But seriously, like, how? W- what's the next chapter for you? I mean, do you see this as an evolution, as part of a like where you're growing now in your career? Maybe um, you're gonna you, you do you enjoy kind of the, the the more political take on things. I enjoy uh, being political as a hobby, but not as a uh, avocation. I have no desire to be uh, a political figure either um, uh, uh, literally as, as in running for office or as a commentator, political commentator or a political comedian, because I'm just not that good at it. I think this book is very funny. Mm. Um, it's very silly and it's very light, but there are far better political comedians out there than myself. And, and I, I don't really aspire to that, mostly because you have to keep changing your act all the time. It's a lot of work. Right. I, don't have that, I don't have that kind of ambition. 
You did write a book with Megan uh, McCain, right? I did. And so what was that in nature at the end of the day? Was that more political or was it more like, how would you characterize that book? Well, it was called America, You Sexy Bitch. Right. And then the subtitle was A Love Letter to Freedom. Right. And it was uh, in a, in a, in a, in a way it was similar to a child's first book of Trump in that it was treating politics uh, fairly lightly, although a lot more seriously than obviously a, a, a parody children's book. And it, we, we hit the road in the summer of 2011 to, with, the, with the thesis that uh, Americans are more similar than dissimilar and that if you just talk to people, you'll find that they pretty much want all the same stuff. They just disagree on how to get there. And then we spent the summer uh, trying to either confirm or break our thesis. And, and in the end, I think we, we confirmed it. Megan is obviously a Republican. I'm not. And uh, we didn't really know each other when we started this, this trip. We met very briefly before I proposed the idea. And, uh, and we became fast friends, as I'm hoping America will become fast friends with itself. <laughs> You're obviously not voting for Trump, but um, people always have their uh, contingency plan in, in a Trump presidency. What's your contingency plan? My contingency plan is to write a series of children's books about Trump in the event that he wins. Just build on this platform. Why not? Yeah. It's, it, it, for me personally, it could be the only good thing that comes out of his administration. I think that's a good plan. Maybe. Yeah. It's win-win for comedians. Either... True. Uh, somebody other than Trump wins, let's say Hillary Clinton, and the country is steadied and proceeds in an orderly fashion, or Trump wins and business is booming for comedians. So either way, we win. Do you consider yourself a comedian, an entertainer, an entrepreneur? How do you how do you describe your profession? Uh, look, my most important jobs are husband and father. Mm-hmm. I didn't. That was. Uh, is that a lie? That, was, that that was meant to be utterly banal. And it okay. Was. <laughs> Uh, Are you running for president? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like my occupation changes by the day. Some days I'm an actor. Some days I'm a writer. Some days I'm a comedian. Some days I'm a podcaster, whatever. I don't know. And you sort of, speaking of podcasting, you, you have a podcast. Uh, how long ago did you start that? And then do you, what do you think about podcasting these days? It's sort of like, do you think Farnoosh, that- you're being very vague in your question? It makes me think you don't know anything about my podcast. Um, yes, I do. You started it with the guy that co-starred in Ed, right? Oh, okay. That's a different podcast. Oh, there's more I, than one podcast? I have a, that one is, uh, is semi on hiatus. That's called Mike and Tom Eat Snacks. And that was, that's a podcast where we eat snacks. But my current podcast, the one that is most active is called How to Be Amazing. And it is a, it is a interview podcast, uh, where I do fairly earnest interviews with people from all walks of uh, the professional world and talk to them about the creative process and how they do what they do and why they do it. Does money ever come up? Uh, Sometimes. Like I asked David Sedaris how much money he makes. How much money does he make? He told me he makes $2 million a year, which flabbergasted me. Wow. What doing what? Like royalties from his books? Yeah, and speaking engagements. Actually, maybe he said four. Whatever the number was, it was a lot. Wow. Wait, I'm going to play it right now and see. That's amazing. It's supported Let's by... Let's see Fox. if I can find this where I ask him. Do you keep your audio transcript? Where you just might, Bert. Um, well, I have my my laptop open and then I just... Okay. Uh, Let's fact check this. To, yeah. But I, I, it'll take me too long to find. Anyway, it was in the millions. 
and it wow. bummed me out. I mean, it doesn't sort of surprise me, I guess. But no, when I mean, you think if about he's it, making that much, how much is Amy Sedaris making? Because she's actually, I feel like she's hustling it. She's out there working and she's doing different projects. Maybe a fraction of that is what, what? Amy Sedaris is making. Oh yeah, a fraction. Really? Of uh, really? I would guess, but but you know, Amy's single and lives simply, and yeah. It has, you know, I think her, I think her big expense is, uh, keeping her pet rabbit. <laughs> who do you hang out with? Like, who are the famous people that you call your crew? Oh, I definitely don't have famous people in my crew. My crew primarily consists of my wife and kids. Yeah. Uh, and then some, and then some local friends in my, in my little woodsy town where I live. And then when I work, I hang out with more famous people just because that's, that's who I work with. Right. Right. Um, tell us something about your world that few people know that, um, you know, a lot of people like to get it. Like, like the fact that I just heard that Amy Sedaris makes a fraction of her brother's salary or income surprised me because I think if you're on TV and you're funny well, and you're employed, well, I, I know, but you're, you're treating what I said as, as a fact, I have no idea what Amy Sedaris makes. I'm, I'm, only, I'm guesstimating. I don't know. What but let's say if it was me. true. I mean, there is some there. There is a perception that working in, in entertainment, that it is all it's you're just rolling in the dough. There's all these opportunities when you're at this level. But tell me, like, how do you, are you hustling? Are you how do you connect? Constantly. Yeah. Of course. How do that's you find whole, your next that's job? The whole gig. The whole gig is hustle. The whole gig is I mean, the work itself, while not easy, is easier than the work required to get the job. Um, that's true. I think for everybody in show business, who, who the, whole, you, the whole gig of show business is just hustle, 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 hustle. Right. It never stops. But you also have a lot of ownership in what you do as a writer and as a producer and direct. I mean, have you directed as well? I have. Yeah. Yeah. So that's important, right? Because that, you know, you want to get ahead of it a little bit as opposed to waiting for the phone to ring. Well, that's, uh, yes. It, as an actor, you're at the mercy of others. If you can create your own material, you, uh, you, you, you put your best in your hand a lot more. What do you think has really allowed you to be successful and have a sustainable career? Desperation and fear more than anything else, probably. <laughs> what scares you? Uh, well, I have a lot of financial anxiety. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot about um, just trying to make sure I make enough money to stay alive. And what's enough money? In, it, well, it, it it varies, but but lately uh, my wife and I built a house. And so enough money has now risen a lot because mm -hmm. we we spent more on the house than uh, I wanted to. So now I'm saddled with this stupid house. Yeah. Sometimes they say buying a big house is like the worst thing you can do. But, you know, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you'll be happy. I'm sure you'll be happy. Whatever. Who cares about happiness? <laughs> do, you, do you always have financial anxiety? We ask yes. on this show a lot. We guests kind of go down memory lane. They kind of try to bring up memories of growing up and maybe how that's influenced their, their money relationship as adults. Well, certainly I grew up in a, in a, a house with some uh, economic anxiety um, and swore that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't put myself in, in, in the, the constant state of uh, anxiety that my mom was in. And I think I've, financially I've done much better than she did, but I'm still in totally the same. I have the same level of anxiety as she did. I don't think that goes away. Hmm. But at, yeah. at the same time, I've done, I've, I've been much smarter with my money than she was. I mean, I, I have, uh, you know, invested in my retirement from a, a young age. I've saved from a young age and, you know, I'm not going to end up on the street anytime soon. 
I probably have a good six to eight weeks before I end up on the street. <laughs> right. There's a little bit of a severance package. Yeah, I'm fine. Well, who taught you that stuff as you were uh, d- establishing yourself? You just kind of pieced it together yourself? Yeah. I, I just knew that I needed to take care of my own financial shit. So I, I, I wrote, I mean, I didn't read, I, I didn't write, I read uh, The Wealthy Barber when I was like 20, which is a, a, a primer in, on how to take care of your money matters. And then um, read a couple more financial books and and then decided that I am not capable of managing my own money. So I hired a money person to watch over my finances. Well, really to invest. I don't have a money manager, but a, a person to invest for me. And that's just how I've done it since. How do you negotiate for yourself in your industry? How does that oh, happen? Well, that's, that's why you have an agent. Yeah. I don't have to negotiate for myself. But you have to have conversations with your agent too, right? As far as what you're sure. willing to, to do a job oh, for. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And they'll say, this, they'll say, uh, uh, this is, this is what the network is offering you to do X, Y, and Z. And then I say, that's totally unacceptable. Ask for a lot more. And then they say, that's the number that I initially gave you. Is there a final offer? And then I say, I'll do it. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that happens sometimes in my world too. I'm sure. What does, what does Hollywood pay these days? I mean, what's the gamut? For what? For, let's say, I don't know. Um, I mean, how much is Jim Gaffigan making? <laughs> Uh, I don't know, but I know, I know, you know, he's one of the most successful touring comedians that I think most of his income probably comes from that as opposed to making the television show that I'm on with him. Yeah. So television. Yeah. I think people think television, you've made it, but that's, well, I think he probably is doing fine from the TV show, but I know, but he makes tremendous amount of money from touring. So for, for you or I, Mm -hmm. just the TV show would be a good source of income. I think for him. The, the touring is so profitable that it, it dwarfs the television show. That's right. just a guess, by the way. I have no idea. Plus endorsements. I, I yeah, he does commercials and stuff, and he's mm. fairly well established, and he's got a good brand. And yeah, I think he's. I, I know he's doing much, much better than I am. But then again, he looks like that, so that's the trade-off. <laughs> What's your goal? Like, I, do people ever come up to you and go? And I hate this question, and I'm so sorry for asking it to you, but I, I am curious. And why? Then why are you asking? Because I'm curious. I because oh. it's a curious question, and it makes you think. And you can tell me if you have no, no plans. But you know, when you think about, I mean, certainly there has to be a degree of planning in your in your life, planning things out, projections. Mm-hmm. Where do you? Where would you like to be in a couple of years, or down ultimately? Where would I like to be in terms of what? Your career. Your career. Um. I, I would like to be a, a little bit better known than I am right now. Not a lot better known, but let's say 20% better known. Not because I particularly crave fame. I think anybody who has experienced fame at all will agree that it's, it's worthless. But where it has value is in its ability to generate more work uh, and hence more income. So for me, Fame is the coin of the realm in this industry, so it would be helpful to be better known in order to uh, to do more work. So, so, so really, you know, just continuing to work is the goal, but but there are different ways to get there. Right, more exposure because that ultimately gives you more. I guess they say like brand equity, right? Yeah, it gives you more control. It gives you more options. It gives you. more everything. So it's, that's helpful. And, and it would be helpful to be able to, uh, to get there. And is there in your, in your field, I know with, I, I followed, um, 
a music producer around for a few days and he was talking about how with his artists, you have to kind of cast a really wide net. Because like you said, it's really about hitting that point where suddenly you're famous and then Mm -hmm. opportunities just come naturally to you. What would you say, what has been in your experience from your perspective, like a moment where for a comedian that fame strikes? Is it like a a show? Is it a book? Is it what, what some, what has it been for others and what do you think it might be for you? Uh, I've never had that moment. I've never had a moment where things change for me. It's been a steady accumulation over years of just putting in the hours and doing the work and, and doing some good projects and some projects that didn't work and, Mm -hmm. and hoping for the best. And then that's how I think it is how it is for most people in their careers. Um, The state was a huge break for you, right? I feel like. Well, yes, certainly, certainly my first television show, the state was the break that, that I needed to just give me any career. Um, That was a sketch show on MTV in the early Mm nineties. And without that, I don't know where I would be, but, um, but after that, it's, it's just been a steady accumulation. I asked guests on the show to share maybe their financial philosophy. We already talked about how you have some scarcity issues, but what would you say is your overall approach to managing money? If you have a a mantra or philosophy? Uh, Well, I do like the initial piece of advice I read in the wealthy barber all those years ago, which is pay yourself first. Mm -hmm. They recommend paying yourself 10% of your income as savings in retirement. Uh, I think that's excellent advice. And I try to do that. Some years I succeed and some years I do not. Um, I like to squirrel away money. I like to, I am a saver. Um, And then I do things like splurge on a house, which uh, erases all of the, (laughs) all of the assets that I have built up. On the other hand, I feel like uh, not my retirement, but you know my my the rest of my assets. At the, uh, on the other hand, I sort of felt like at a certain point, what am I saving for? And my wife and I wanted at some point in our lives to build our own house and design it. And I thought, why not do it now while the kids are young enough that they can live in it and that we're young enough to enjoy it for many years? So why not? Um, yeah. So sometimes, so I you know I go back and forth with with. Um, saving and trying to create a nest egg for myself and then um, doing things with that money that I think are worth doing. Sounds like a really healthy balance to me. I mean, at the end of the day, if this home is going to be where you'll create memories and it's going to be something that will stay in the family, I think that's a wonderful investment. Is there any habit that you have financial habit that helps you just kind of avoid those scarcity fears and really keep focus on making the money and saving it? Well, the one thing that I do, which is uh, uh, probably not feasible for most people, um, but it's just the way that my corporate life is structured because I have my own corporation, is that I don't, everything that I make goes into my corporation and I do my best to not draw any money from that corporation until the end of the year when I pay myself uh, whatever I have in there. And then I, 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 I try to um, have enough money uh, set aside for the entire next year, um, basically on January 1st, so that I'm all set for the coming fiscal year and then 
saving up for the next fiscal year all through the year. It's an unusual oh. way to, to kind of uh, conduct one's financial life, but it gives me a little bit of peace of mind when I, when I, when I don't know what's coming around the bend uh, work-wise that I'm, I'm protected uh, hopefully for 12 months. It doesn't always work out that way. And sometimes I have to draw from my corporate account to, uh, to survive for the year, but that's what I've been trying to do. I mean, I can't imagine there's a lot of dark periods in your career. You're so busy. You're so innovative. Um, how bad has it ever gotten? Honestly, not very bad. Um, I've, I've been able to uh, generate work for myself pretty continuously for the last 20 years. Um, and then sometimes people want me, and sometimes people come to me to do stuff. So I've been very fortunate for a lot of that time, I was very fruitful too. So it, I, I, I could survive for a while without having work. Um, but I'm always waiting for uh, my career to utterly evaporate. And I always feel like that will happen. You know, would you do everything the same all over again? If, if that, you know, that's an interesting like thought, right? If you, if that did, if that doomsday did arrive and what, for whatever reason you couldn't have the career that you have, would you still go up about everything the same way? Um, what do you mean? Like if, if, if I, try, if I, would you try to rebuild your career in the same oh. way? Would you even go in the same field? Would you try something oh, different? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm very uh, satisfied with the way that I've conducted my career, mostly because I learned early on to diversify in terms of, the kinds of things that I can do and the kinds of things that interest me. And I'm able to, uh, to pursue all of those things simultaneously. So if I, if I don't have an acting job, I'm writing something or I'm doing stand up or I'm working on who knows what, but there's any number of things I can do to, to keep myself gainfully employed. I think your uh, next so- book should be about how to have a thriving financial life as an artist, because I think so many people have no idea what they're doing or how to do it in your field. Oh, I, ne- I never said my financial life was thriving. Well, I think, okay, maybe not, you don't call it thriving, but I think it's, it sounds like it's in a pretty great shape. The fact that you're able to have this sense of this, a bit of security for yourself. I mean, that's yeah. pretty impressive. I, when I got into this business, I just assumed I'd be poor my entire life. <laughs> maybe that's um, the trick. Assume you'll be poor. Yeah, just set the bar very, very low. Yeah. And then anything you do that exceeds that, you're like, oh, wow, I'm really successful. <laughs> um, so the fact that I've been able to make a living in this business is, has, has never stopped surprising me. And, uh, and I remain very, very grateful that, that I've been able to raise a family just on showbiz money. And we're thankful for it, too. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always fun to have guests like you that maybe aren't financial experts, but clearly have a lot to teach and a lot to inspire us with. So congrats on the book. Hope you will. I don't hope that it'll turn into a series because that means we will have a Trump presidency. (laughs) Um, But uh, really, really awesome book. And uh, everyone should go buy it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Pranush. Thanks for having me. That's 
a wrap. Thanks to Michael for joining us on So Money. If you'd like to learn more about him, his website is michaelianblack.org. He's also on Twitter at Michael Ian Black, and his book, again, is called A Child's First Book of Trump. If you missed any of this, just head over to somoneypodcast.com, and there you can get the audio, the transcript, you can leave a comment, and also you can leave me a question. Click on Ask Farnoosh, and I'll save it for an upcoming Friday episode. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money. Money.